Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open to the book of Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1. Can't think of a longer introduction I've ever had in my ministry, and uh, nor a more flattering one. I appreciate all that. With the things that God has allowed us to do in the ministry, we have a small work and tucked away in the northern corner of Wisconsin, where you know uh, we people wonder if we have summer. We do. We have we have two days of summer. And uh, if it lands on Sunday, we're blessed that that happens on the Lord's day, man. But uh, we just, <laughs> last Sunday, I got up and went out the door. I get up and go out the door early. I drive an hour and a half round trip on Sunday mornings to pick up a few inmates at a local uh, prison, bring them to church. And I break them out. Of, I call it my jailbreak ministry. I <laughs> got permission to break them out of jail on Sundays and bring them to church. And I come out the door and it was, I had five inches of fresh slushy snow on my truck uh, last Sunday. And so that, that tells you a little bit about where we're at. So it's nice being over here where the sun always shines. <laughs> well, at least the moisture falls in a different form, amen? It's rain over here. Uh, we, um, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, but you have been praying for a pair of twins back in Wisconsin at their home church, the church that the Renos came from, that's our granddaughters. And so uh, my wife said, yeah, somebody should introduce me, I guess, to yesterday as the Nana to the grandbabies that have been being prayed for. And she uh, used them as an illustration of, of God's goodness yesterday. She said, I realized I didn't tell people how things are going, how it's turned out. She says, so you have to tell them. So Wednesday night, I will, no, uh, she said, you better tell them today. Tell them now. And things are going well. We appreciate your prayers so much. We know it's just by the grace of God. But <clears throat> even they, they spent over 90 days in, in the NICU. They were born uh, three and a half months or so earlier. Their due date was May 10th uh, here coming up. And they were born January 27th. And that's a year ago. So they just passed their one-year birth date coming up on their one-year date that they were supposed to be born. And, uh, and so everything is, if you understand anything about those kinds of things, everything is delayed. And so, uh, but that being said, every time the doctors would come into the hospital uh, in ICU to see the twins, they would have the chart in their hand, they would come back out and say to the nurses, where I'm in the wrong room, where are the babies on this chart? And they said, that's them. And, and they say, no, they shouldn't be. These, these babies look too healthy. These babies are doing too good. And, uh, and so we, we rejoiced in that. But they were so, so tiny. Got a, as you can imagine, you, know, you got all kinds of pictures. But one of the, the um, pictures I go to to remind me of where we've been with these two little precious girls uh, is a picture of the NICU of one of the twins with my son-in-law's wedding band slid all the way up onto the bicep. They were just over a pound apiece at birth, and of course babies lose a little weight, so they both, both dropped just under a pound. Uh, but now <clears throat> they're, um, they're just, we just got a video yesterday of one of them taking first steps, 
and uh, they're doing good. They've passed all of the, the markers, and again, there's still a long way to go. They say it takes really three years to, to really fully understand. With, uh, you, if you ever walked into NICU, it looks like a space shuttle. There's so much technology there, and yet they cannot do what God does in the womb. And so everything is delayed, all of their development as far as immune system and respiratory and digestive system, all those things are delayed. And they say about the time that they're three, we'll really understand if there's any uh, permanent delays or issues and things like that. So there's still a long way to go. We appreciate your continued prayers and we give all the praise to the Lord. And so that's, that's us. We're Papa and Nana uh, to the twins you've been praying for. I also have the great privilege of being Mark Prem's mission, uh, pastor. He's our missionary in Ukraine. This January, I believe it was, we, uh, we've been printing uh, and distributing literature all over the country of Ukraine. The reason that happened, let me just, if I can just take a minute, preacher. The reason that happened is because before all of this happened, the church we started there, he started a printing ministry in the church. Because it was just difficult to get literature in. You can get it in, but it gets held up for months at the borders waiting for bribes. And, uh, you know, they'll just, they'll just lock it up somewhere and wait for you to come bribe them. And if you won't bribe them, it just sits there. And so we started a printing ministry there. Because of that, a lot of the national pastors as well as missionaries all over the country have become accustomed to calling them for gospel literature, gospel tracts, gospel booklets, uh, chick tracts in Russian, things like that. And so it kind of was a, a, kind of a common thing. Well, when the war broke out, his, almost his 100% of his church left the country. And, uh, and so he has had the building, but not much else. And, but what happened is these pastors and missionaries started calling him saying, hey, we've got, we've got hundreds of thousands of people streaming past our city trying to get out of the country. We have no literature to give them. But Mark and I talked, and, and uh, we said, well, just can you find a printer? So he contacted a local printer that had been shut down because of the war. And the guy says, I have no paper, but I'll see if I can find some. And so he got some paper, and he started, Brother Mark said, hey, we'll keep you busy. And so we put the guy back in business. It, for, for a year, we, his only business was us. And, uh, but the, the uh, money started coming. We didn't send out letters saying, hey, we need help. We just started getting phone calls. I started getting phone calls. Hey, pastor, Mark Prem's still on the field? I said, yes. Could he use 15,000? Could he use 10,000? Could he use 20,000? Could he use 1,000? And money started coming in. We, we just said, that, let's just kind of keep track and see what's happening. But I told Brother Mark, I said, Every order, every request you get for literature, get it printed and ship it. We'll pay for the shipping. We'll pay for the printing. You, you'd have to understand, we have a small ministry. But it hasn't mattered because not a penny's come out of our ministry because God has prepaid all of it. And as of, uh, my wife and I were there uh, less than a year before the war broke out. We were scheduled to be there this last May, and we decided not to go. Um, and uh, so, but we were over there, but... Um, as of uh, the one-year anniversary of the war, we had had printed and distributed over two million pieces of gospel literature around the country. And God's paid for it all. I have no idea what the cost has been. 
I have no, all I know is we still have money in the bank. We said we'll worry about it when God runs out of money, which doesn't happen. And, uh, and the honest truth is it's just continuing to go, and it's, it's, it would take the whole service time to share with you how God has been one step ahead of the ministry there all along, providing how he continues to provide, uh, but we're grateful for what God has done. And so that's, uh, that's uh, I'm also Mark Preem's pastor, a great privilege. But my biggest claim to fame is I'm uh, Bobby Reno and Miss Amy's pastor. Amen. That's my biggest, that's, that's the, what I'll be known for, be on my tombstone someday. And, uh, and so, but we, we do still miss them and uh, we love them. We're so glad to be here, and thank you for being here as well. If you, ta- you have your Bibles there, and you're in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. Did I adequately fill them in, Mrs. Wagshoes? Babies are doing great. Grandma has pictures, and uh, all the funny face pictures as well, and, you know, and their sisters, and they'll, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, doing sister things, you know. <laughs> they're taking each other's toys and things like that, but it's, it's great. I want to speak this morning on the riches of God's grace. I hadn't fully decided until the ladies just got up and sang, hadn't uh, talked about the wonderful grace of God, and still amazed, still amazed at God's grace. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7, the Bible says this, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to, and say it out loud with me, the riches of His grace. You can do better than that, can't you? Ready? The riches of His grace. Did you ever think about the phrasing in the Bible, the way things are said? It still amazes me. Sometimes I'll see something that I, I never noticed exactly how that was said before. The riches of God's grace. God's grace compared to God's mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is when you do get what you do not deserve. But when he says the riches of his grace, he's putting a value on the grace of God. And he's saying that that value is like riches. What is the worth of God's grace? How can you and I measure the worth of God's grace. God says it is like riches. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, you're right there close and you have thee quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the prince, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, uh, in the, uh, in, excuse me, in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who, in mer- who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, <coughs> hath he quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, that has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. You see this phrase found in uh, three times in this little, this little uh, snapshot of, of uh, the epistle to the Ephesian church. And he says, the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. What is the worth of God's grace? How can you and I place a value? How can we estimate what God means? With not just what is worth to us. What is God saying it was that he estimates the value of? The riches of his grace. And I want to give you some help this morning seeing what God thinks grace is worth. Father, speak to our hearts. Challenge us. I do pray that if there's somebody here that is not saved, that they would trust Jesus Christ today before, before they leave this place. God, I pray that you would so speak to their heart to convict them of their sin, to make them aware that they are uh, hopeless and helpless without Jesus Christ. Lord, not that they're the greatest sinner in the world, but one among sinners and still bound for hell if they do not get saved. Lord, I ask that all these things, Christ might be exalted. In his precious name we pray, amen. How do we see what the value of God's grace was to God? What, uh, what, what can we use uh, to estimate what God means? Since God is the author of the Bible, would you agree with that? Say amen. God's the author of the Bible. He's the one that wanted it in there, this, this phrase, according to the riches of his grace, the worth of his grace. And I'd say, first of all, the riches of God's grace are illustrated by the nature and cause of the sin from which God redeems us. In other words, if you just said, well, Jesus died for the righteous. He died for the best of us. Salvation is provided for a certain group of people, a certain class. <coughs> then you could say, well, the value of God's grace is the value of that, that he would forgive some small things. But that's not what grace does. Grace reaches down to the lowest of us and saves us from the uttermost to the guttermost. There's no one that God's grace does not extend to. Now, somebody wants to get in a theological argument about, about the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, that's a different sermon. But I'm just going to say that if you're here today, I'd be shocked if you had actually committed the sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Would you probably agree with that? Say amen. And so let's just set that aside for now as just something that is educational for later on. Because the important thing is, those that are here, those that are under the sound of my voice, do you know for sure that, you, that you're on your way to heaven because you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior? I want you to understand that there's no sin that you've committed that is so egregious that the grace of God does not cover it. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that means that no matter who you are, God knows you're a sinner. If God knows you're a sinner, He also knows what your sin is or has been. I've had people say, well, I don't know that God could save somebody like me. And I tell them on the authority of God's Word, people like you are exactly the ones for whom Jesus died. 
The Bible says that uh, Jesus came not looking for the righteous, the righteous, the, the physician that th feels like he needs no, no, no physician. He came looking for sinners that need, that need to repent. He came for those who recognize that they are the down and out. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee prayed with, thus with himself, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners and etc. Or even as this publican, I fast twice in the week, give tithes of all that I possess. By the way, everything he said, if he did it, if he actually did it, those were all good things. They just don't save you. Where was his confidence? His confidence was in the things that he had done and was doing. But the other man wouldn't even lift up his eyes. He smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, listen, he had an awareness of his sin. You say, well, which man did Jesus die for? He died for both. Two men hung on crosses on either side of Jesus. That day on Golgotha, and one man said, If thou be the Son of God, save thyself and save us too. The other man on the other side said, uh, Remember with me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You say, for, for which man did Jesus die? And I say to you, he died for both men. There were those at the foot of the cross that were sneering and jeering and mocking. They were making sport of the death of Jesus, dividing his clothing by lots. There were those that were there also to see the man that they loved, the one that they loved, put to death. You say, for whom did Jesus die? I say to you, he died for both. Outside the tomb, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, there were some soldiers that were set there to guard the tomb so that no one would steal the body of Jesus. When Jesus came out of that grave, when they, when they saw the angels make the announcement, the Bible says they fell as dead men. They passed out, okay? Let's just say it the way, they just passed out. No man wants to hear that, but they passed out. And then there were those that came to the tomb that day to anoint the body of Jesus. There were those that ran at the news, the announcement that his body was not there. They ran to see themselves. They went away with joy and fear and all these mixtures of emotions. You say, who did Jesus die for? Did he die for those soldiers put placed to guard the tomb? Or, or did he die for those who would lovingly go to the tomb afterwards? And I say to you, he died for both. There is no sin that you have committed that would keep you from falling under God's grace if you would simply accept what he's done for you. How do you measure the grace of God? How deep is your sin? How, how loathsome is your life apart from God? How black is the darkness of your heart with that, uh, without God? And that's the measure of the grace of God. It's the worth of God's grace. I had the privilege of growing up in church and being taught the word of God. And I do not ever remember doubting what the Bible said. I don't ever remember doubting the creation, six-day literal creation. I don't ever remember doubting uh, the virgin birth. I don't ever remember doubting 
uh, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I don't ever remember doubting uh, the miracles of the Bible. I don't doubt. I, I don't doubt. The Bible says that a, a great fish swallowed Jonah. You say you believe that? I, I'd believe it if the Bible said Jonah swallows a great fish. Amen? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Amen? I've, I've eaten many great fish. Just not on one bite. I believe this. I, I believe, I've always believed all these things, but I did not get saved until I was 21. I didn't realize I wasn't saved until I was 21. Because I knew all these things to be true. When the preacher would say, are you 100% sure that, you, that you, if you died, you'd go to heaven? It was like, uh, I mean, my, my, the way my brain works, it's just, it's just methodical. It's just analytical. And so I was, in my brain, and it wasn't anything intentional, but I'm just telling you, trying to figure out, you know, what was I thinking? You ever sit down and go, what was I thinking? You know, could have had a V8. What was I thinking? Those of you that laughed just, you aged yourself. <laughs> what was I thinking? Well, I, what I was thinking was, I, they said I went forward when I was five. I believe Jesus, the Son of God, equals I must be saved. So, yeah, I'm good. But when I was 21 years old, it was the first time that I really remember an awareness that I, I, I don't remember going forward when I was five. I don't remember if I did, why I did. And if I did, what I did, did I go forward because they gave away candy? Did I go forward because uh, other friends of mine were going forward? Did I, did I go forward at all? I, I, I couldn't tell you. Could not tell you. But I also knew this, that just because I knew that Jesus was the Son of God and died for my sins was not enough to save me. Just knowing it was not enough to save me. And when I was 21 years old, I, I immediately became aware that I had never truly trusted Jesus Christ. And that very moment, I stepped out and came forward in an invitation like we'll have in just a little bit. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. So, oh, then you were a pretty good person, man, growing up in church. Not so. Not so. I got involved in many things that I shouldn't have gotten involved in. Oh, I wasn't in, in uh, big, uh, you know, big city gangs or, or I never committed murder or anything like that. But no, I wasn't. But I did plenty. But one of the worst things. One of the worst things was 21 years of ignoring God's grace. Sitting under the preaching of the Word of God when others have no one to preach to them. Hearing the gospel explained time and time again when others have never had one person Give them a gospel track and share Christ with them. It seems to me that perhaps my sin in some ways is more egregious than most because of the opportunities that were, that were missed to, to, and not seeing the grace of God. You see, what is the worth of God's grace? It's the, the worth of it is measured by the, the depths to which Christ will reach to save you. 
say, well, I've, I've done things, I've done, I've done bad things. The grace of God is enough. I remember, and I've used this illustration, I'm sure, here before, but it bobs into my mind right now. As I was preaching there in, in Superior, uh, a couple of men walked in, and someone had invited them, invited them. They walked into one of the services. It was right after I had first come there because it was in the old building, Brother Reno. And two men just, just looked rough, wild. One man was, he was a big man, similar to, your, uh, to, to, brother, to Jimmy. Big man, hair, hair. You can see two slits, you know, eyeballs, just a Grizzly Adams type of a guy. And the other guy just, he just looked homeless and, and rough. And I preached the gospel. And neither one of them moved at the invitation, but after the service was done, as we were closing, I said, you know, if for whatever reason you didn't come forward, but you'd still like to talk to somebody about knowing for sure how to go to heaven, I said, I'll be at the back and just mention that you'd like to talk to me. And then I said, we'll go off quietly somewhere and we'll, we'll talk. And we prayed and dismissed, and I was standing at the back, and this man came by me and he said, I'd like to talk to you. And so we went into a side room, and on this side, as, as, as you're sitting here today, it'd be a little room off to this side, and we sat and talked, and he told me briefly the, the recent account of his life, how they had been uh, involved in drugs and alcohol and, and was uh, abusive to his family, and that recently he had been drunken and, and uh, was in a big argument with his wife and, and uh, ended up, you know, uh, uh, in a big fight there in the house, and the neighbors called the police when the furniture started getting thrown out of the windows without opening the windows. And so the neighbors called the police. When the police showed up, he did the smart thing. He pulled a shotgun, and he held the police off for, for hours with his family as hostage. And eventually he surrendered and he said to me, he told me all these things. He said, I'm, I'm got a sentencing date coming up. I've already pled guilty in court. My wife has divorced me, and, and I'm on my way to prison. And, and I let him talk. He talked probably 20, 25, 30 minutes explaining his life and the drugs and the alcohol and, and, and I got, he got done with that, and I said, I said, that's a, that's a terrible story. But I said, you have an even bigger problem than that. And this, this big hulk of a man, he just, just like you stuck a pin in a balloon and, and let the air out of him, and he just, he just almost just shrunk down in the chair. And with despair in his voice, he said, what could possibly be worse than where I'm at. I said, if you die without Jesus Christ, you'll spend eternity in a place called hell. And he said, I don't want to do that. So I took 25 or 30 minutes telling him what Jesus did for him. And after that time, I said, would you like to accept God's gift of eternal life? Would you like to have your sins forgiven? 
so that you'll never spend one tick of the clock in hell. And he said, yes, I would. And he trusted Christ as his Savior and went with him to his sentencing trial, which was downstate. <laughs> On the way down there, I had to switch radio stations because I lost my radio stations and I heard up the, the sentencing trial for this man. Then they announced it on the radios today. And I got there and I went in. He introduced me. His wife was, his ex-wife was there. He introduced me and apologized to her. She was there for the sentencing trial. He got up. He had asked, the, the judge got up and said, today we're sentencing this man. There's no, he already pled guilty, so there's no trial to be had. But he asked if he could say a few words to the court before he is sentenced. So he got up. He was up where a, a, somebody would go to testify in the, in the box there. And he was up there and he said, said these words. He said, I'm here today. Because, he said, everything they said I've done, I've done. And he said, I did those things because the devil was in control of my life. He said, I knew I needed God. He said, I went to the Catholic church looking for God. I couldn't find God. He said, I went to the Lutheran church looking for God. I couldn't find God there either. He said, I went to Twin Ports Baptist Church looking for God. And he said, I found God that day. And that's my pastor sitting right back there. And he said, he said I know I'm going to prison and I deserve to go to prison. But he said, I know this, I'll never be back here again because now Satan is no longer in control of my life. I tell you what, you want to see a Baptist preacher have a running, shouting fit in a courtroom, that was me. I was so excited I couldn't stand it. Some years go by, I get a call from a pastor downstate. He said, hey, do you know a man by this name? I said, I sure do. He said, I just thought you'd want to know. He doesn't know I'm calling you, but he just got out of prison down here. His first Sunday out of prison, he walked into our church service, introduced himself, showed me a Bible that you gave him when he went off to prison where you had signed it in the front. And you wrote in there, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Read it, believe it, live it. That's what I wrote in it. And he said, I just thought you'd want to know his first Sunday out of, church, out of jail, he was in church. You know, you say, well, would God save me? I'd say to you, you are the one for whom Jesus died. You say, well, my darkest and blackest sin. That's, what it, that's the one he paid for on the cross of Calvary. How, what is the worth of God's grace? It's measured by how by the sins that God is willing to forgive. I'd say number two, we want to see what the value of God's grace is, what the worth of it is. We can see it illustrated by what he's done to affect our redemption. What links did he go to? He didn't stop and say just, well, those of you who can manage to live a better life, you can do better in your good days than your bad days, I'll take you. He didn't do that. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary to pay for your sin, to pay for my sin. You see, I think we could say, wouldn't you agree, God the Father spared no expense in paying for your sin. Would you agree with that? Is there anything greater God could do? Can you imagine? Is there a way for you to imagine anything bigger, anything worth more 
to God the Father than the, the life of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ? I can't imagine anything greater. So what is, what is the worth of God's grace? The riches of God's grace? You can measure it by the lengths He was willing to go to to pay for your sin. Number three, how can we measure the worth of God's grace? We can measure it by the conditions upon which God offers you salvation. He's not looking to be reimbursed. He didn't say, well, listen, I've got these tickets here, and I'll, give them, I'll sell them at half price today. No, no. You see, it's the free gift of God. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we just read, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved according to His mercy and according to His grace. It costs you nothing to be saved. It costs God everything to save you. And the very fact that He's willing to offer it to you and to me, freely given, shows the value of it. You say, well, if it was, if God valued it, if God valued it, he would certainly charge a premium price for it. No, no. <coughs> Understand how this works. God's already paid for it. He places such a high value on it that he's willing to pay for it and then does not want it to not be used. He doesn't want it to go to waste. He doesn't want you to say, well, I almost made it, but I can't quite afford it. He wanted you to have access to it so that it would be, and so, so that it would be used to its fullest extent. And so therefore, he makes it simply by grace through faith. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God does not, there are those who say, well, if Jesus died for one person that uh, doesn't get saved, then, that, then the death of Jesus was partly wasted Listen, God doesn't look at it that way. God looks at it this way, that he paid the full price so that every person who's ever lived could potentially be saved. Amen? I mean, when you think about it, his, 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 the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for anybody who, came to, who comes to Christ or would come to Christ. It's only efficient for those who do. God doesn't want it to go to waste. God doesn't want it to be seen as wasteful. So he died for your sins and offers it to you for free. Then I'd say this. The value, the worth of God's grace can be also measured by the fact that he calls it the gospel. It's not a system. It's not a system. I get emails. I, I get so many emails. I just, don't you ever want to just, uh, just completely, you know, fall off the face of the map sometimes, you know. I get so many emails. <clears throat> the older you get, the more emails you get about, um, you know, how to get old. And, uh, and they must know that I'm flat broke because they're always sending me, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I can't figure out pretty sure if they know I'm flat broke or they don't because they're always sending me stuff on how to invest for retirement. I, I don't have any, you know, if they knew my, my situation, they'd go, don't bother sending that guy an email. He's got nothing to invest. And yet they keep sending it to me like, oh yeah, this, this, invest in this stock and you'll turn a dollar into a million. 
The only way I know to turn a dollar into a million is take out a pen and write a bunch of zeros after the one. That's the only way I know to do it, but it's not going to get me very far to bank. But the truth of the matter is, it's not a system. See, a system can be mastered. Here, you know, here, here's the way you invest in penny stocks, or here's the, uh, uh, the, the way that you, uh, you know, flip houses, or, you know, there's, there's a way to master the system. And if you, <coughs> if you learn to master the system, well, then you're in. But the gospel is not a system to be mastered that some figure out and some don't. Nor is it a law. Because if it was a law, you would have to obey it to, to have its promises fulfilled. It is not a law that you have to accomplish or that you have to somehow achieve this level of, of obedience. It is called the gospel. The word gospel simply means good news. You know why it's good news? It's good news because there's nothing to master. There's no levels to achieve. There's no pyramid scheme to get to the top. There's no manipulation of any markets. It's good news because everyone here can be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of you. And oh, listen, that's the measure of the worth, the value, the riches of God's grace is that it you say, well, somebody said, okay, listen, I got $10,000 up here giving away $10,000 in, uh, in uh, $100 increments and line up here. Well, you would push your way to the front because you know that eventually the money's going to run out, amen? So you'd want to make sure that you're in early enough to take advantage. You understand the value of God's grace is it never runs out. Everyone here, if you decide today that you need to be saved, you're not taking salvation from somebody else. You're not like taking their place or taking their spot from them. It is sufficient to save all who believe. Everyone that comes to God by grace through faith can be saved. That's the worth of the riches of God. That's why it's called the riches of God's grace. Good news. Good news from heaven, to, uh, from heaven to earth, from God to man. Behold, I bring you good tidings, great news. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is born. And then I'd say number five and lastly, the value or the worth of God's grace as he measures the value of it, not as we do, as he measures the value, is the concern that God has shown for our salvation. That God didn't just provide it, but make us find it. He didn't just make it available if you're smart enough to follow the clues. If you're able, I remember, some t it's been years ago now, somebody, they were going to do me a favor and they installed this some video game on my computer. And I, and I still hate them for it. Because I, I just, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm obsessive compulsive, but it's under control. I can stop at any time. I just don't want to. 
And, uh, and so if, if I'm not careful, I, so I don't play video games because I, I just get, okay. Anyway, this is one of those video games where, <coughs> you know, it's not, <coughs> you know, it's not the, you know, beep, 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 you know, eating stuff. That's not what, no, it's not that kind of video game. It's a video game where you're on this ship. And you've got to figure out by what's around you, all the clues there, how to get this ship to land. And it's not possible. You can't do it. Trust me, you can't do it. And so you sit there for hours looking around this stupid ship, trying to gather clues and figure out what to do. It's like, it's like the ultimate impossible escape room. You know, only you just can't figure it out. So if you finally, you finally just give in and you take clues and you, you know, do all this and they get you off the ship or whatever, you just find yourself, now you're on a, on a, on a, on a desert island with no resources. And from the clues available to you, you have to figure out, okay, it's just... And I mean, you say, well, sounds like you spent hours and no, 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 days. <laughs> days and days and weeks and weeks and months. And it's like, I hate this. My wife says, just, just walk away from it. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Searching, looking, trying to figure it out. And why can't I? it doesn't make sense to a rational man obviously obviously developed by crazy people in an asylum somewhere and here i am trying to do it 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 salvation is not like that you don't have to figure it out you can see the value that god puts the worth that he puts on his grace by the concern that he has shown so that you can make use of it. The efforts that have gone into the fact of giving us the gospel and preserving it for us and the hundreds of people that died to proclaim the gospel so that sitting comfortably today in 2023 you have the opportunity to hear of the wonderful riches of God's grace. You hear people all the time, you hear of people all the time that are searching for God. Read your Bible. Because the Bible is filled with a God searching for us. The good shepherd goes out into the wilderness after the sheep that has gone astray. Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 1 John 4, 10, Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19, We loved Him because He first loved us. This is God's contact, uh, conduct toward us. Is it not so? Why is it that any of us at this moment would be restless about accepting the grace of God when God has done so much to make salvation available to you. See, God is a benevolent God. He's a loving God. And he said, what can I do for my creation? What is the highest good 
that I can provide for you. And he did so in making a way to pay for your sins, a parent. And then he came and looked for you so that you would know exactly what to do to be saved. And God today is finding people. He's looking for you if you're not saved. He's looking for you to tell you about the riches of his grace. The worth of it that money cannot buy. The worth of it that he spent the, the, the crown of heaven to purchase. The worth of it in that he goes out of his way to make sure that you have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And then to make sure that you can avail yourself of it by having it at no charge to you. That's what God has done. That's the value, the worth, the riches of His grace. If you're here today and you say, well, preacher, I'm one of those I'm not really sure about this. Let me just try to help you with this, all right? And we're done. Let me help you with this. Because as I've been preaching today, I didn't warn you about this ahead of time. But you look back over the last 30 minutes or a little more. You look back over the last 45 minutes. Okay, I'll be honest, 45 minutes, all right. You just look back over that. Have you felt more comfort? Or have you felt more conviction? Have you heard these great verses from the Word of God and thought to yourself, I'm so glad that I've trusted Jesus Christ? Or have you wondered? You see, because the Holy Spirit of God will comfort those that are saved from the Word of God, but He will convict those who are not saved. I don't pretend to hold a magic wand or a crystal ball and be able to look in it and see who's saved and who's not. But I am saying this, that the Holy Spirit of God wants you to be saved if you're not. And, if, and because of that, while I've been preaching today, you just think back over the last 45 minutes, whether you have been comforted or more convicted. And that's probably a pretty good indication of where you stand before God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, please. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. An invitation, again, I don't know who's here regularly and who's not. An invitation is where we invite you to come and let a personal worker, trained personal worker, meet here at the front and show you from the Scriptures, carefully walk you through trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. So you don't have to wonder, you don't have to question anymore. You can know for sure that you're saved and on your way to heaven. But before I pray to start that invitation, I would like to say, I want to know how to best pray for you. I wonder today if you might say, and there's nobody here to impress. It does nothing for you to impress me. I'm flying home in a few days, and, and I'll remember this service, but I might not remember that you raised your hand. But I wonder if you'd say, Pastor Wagenschutz, there's no doubt in my mind, I know exactly where I was, when I was, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. There's no question in my mind. I, I, I don't have your experience of not having that knowledge. I know exactly where I was, when I was, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And if I die today, I know 
based on the promise of God's word that I'd go to heaven with him. And I'm just going to testify to that by raising my hand up and just holding it there for just a moment. Again, please don't raise it if you're not 100% sure because there's nobody to impress. All right, you put your hands back down. I have another question to ask of those who could not raise their hand or did not raise their hand. You might fall into one of two classes today. Either you fall in the class of, I didn't raise my hand because I'm not saved, but I really am not concerned about it. And let me say this. If that's you, I can't help you at all. Because if you will not respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life, you're not going to get saved if I caught you by the heels and tackled you and held you down until you prayed. You wouldn't mean it from your heart. But if today you say, I couldn't raise my hand because I'm not sure. But I am concerned about it. I am concerned about it. I will pray for you. If you'll request it by simply slipping your hand up and just holding it there just for a second. And just say, please pray for me. I'm not saved. I'm concerned about it. As the Spirit of God spoke to my heart today, I've recognized I'm not saved, but I'm concerned about it. Just pray for me. Just slip your hand up and then right back down. Please pray for me. All right? So either you're saved or you're not concerned about it. Those that are saved, let me ask you one more question. Is there or is there not somebody that you have a heart for, that you have a concern for, that they might understand the riches of God's grace? Maybe today's a good opportunity for you to bring their name before the Lord, to come to a place of prayer and speak their name before the Holy Spirit of God and say, God, be my helper. I'm going to share Jesus Christ with them to give them a definite opportunity to accept or reject Jesus Christ. You say, well, I think I'm okay. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're the farthest thing from okay. You say, I haven't, I haven't rejected Christ. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Bible never says you go to hell if you reject Christ. It says you, if you don't accept Christ. If you don't accept, it's an affirmative. You have to accept Christ. Father, I pray as I said I would. Lord, there were some that could not raise their hand, but they don't seem concerned about it. I pray that you'll break their heart and convict them of their sin. Help them to understand that hell is real and it's not far away. It is one breath, one heartbeat away, and I pray that they will get concerned about it. Perhaps they didn't raise their hand because they were afraid I'd call them out, draw attention to them. But I pray that you'll speak to their hearts. Lord, I also pray for Christians who have a loved one, a family member, a friend, someone they know that's not saved. Oh, that they might realize the riches of God's grace. and They might save them. I might, I might pray for them to be saved. Might go to them so that they might be saved. God, as we bring their name before you, I pray that we'll start the burden in our heart to go with the, with the gospel to them. We ask it in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand to your feet, please? Please.